Man, what a song, what a, what a God. <laughs> Man, uh, guys, my name, is, my name is Nick, and uh, that was just such an incredible song. I can't even get over it at the moment, wow. Um, guys, welcome to Salt Company. Um, like I said, my name is Nick, and you need to know three things about me, okay? So the first one, in June, I got married to the love of my life, Sydney, and uh, that's a picture of her. Yeah, we've been married for, for five months now, and um, I know everything there is to know about marriage now, right, Sid? So, yeah, that's not true. Um, guys, memorize her face. <laughs> memorize her face. Uh, if you have the chance to, to have a conversation with her, do it. It'll, it'll bless, bless your evening, I promise. I, I love her a ton. Um, second thing you need to know about me, I'm, I'm the dude's guy on Salt Staff. So I, I'm the men's, it literally says at the top of my contract, like dude's guy. No, it doesn't really. I'm the men's ministry guy, okay? So if I haven't met you, we need to make that happen, okay? So uh, we as a Salt Staff team, of course we have a, a vision for the campus of the University of Northern Iowa, but we also care a ton, a ton about Wartburg students and Hawkeye Community College students, okay? And so if you're a student that goes to Wartburg or Hawkeye, I, I'm your guy, We've got the wheels turning. We've got some momentum heading to, to your campuses, and I'm really looking forward to, to seeing what God's going to do um, on those campuses. So please, if you're a student at Hawkeye or Wartburg, please, please come visit me tonight, okay? Come introduce yourself. I've got the wheels turning on, on going to your campuses. And then the third thing, and this, this one's just silly, I love McDonald's. I love McDonald's. Okay, yeah, absolutely. So... I, I love McDonald's, and I, I have this weird tradition that after I preach anywhere, whether it's middle school ministry, high school ministry, um, here at Salt Company, I, I go to McDonald's after I'm done preaching, and I absolutely just, just ball out on one of the nicest sa sandwiches on the menu. So I don't, I don't just do my staple. I don't just do the McDouble and the small fry. I, I go hard after the best sandwich on the menu, okay? So that's, that's the only reason I'm up here is to, to preach and to head to Mickey D's, so... No, I'm just kidding. I'm here to preach God's word. Hard right, John 10, 7. Go ahead and open there. That's where we will be. And while you guys are turning there, I just wanted to give you a little bit of, of backstory on the, on the book of John. We've given, given you some already, but I want to give you a little more. So John is one of four biographers of Jesus. He was a disciple of Jesus. He's clearly an author. Um, and he's, he's one of the guys that wrote one of the four Gospels. So we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All four of these accounts of Jesus' life are, are really trustworthy. They're consistent with one another, and we, we can talk more about that some other time. But I, I want to let you know that John is really unique. The Gospel of John is really unique. So in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which are called the Synoptic Gospels, it, the, those, those three are really similar. They're strikingly similar. Um, they, they use a lot of language like repent and believe in the good news of the kingdom. Jesus the, is the Messiah. They're, they're normally like shorter stories, and all of them kind of have the same ordering of stories, some of the same words and vocabulary, and um, all the stories are kind of in the same order. But John is actually more like extended. So like you, you see a lot of stories happening over multiple chapters. You see a lot of dialogue between Jesus and individual characters that come into play. And in the book of John, Jesus focus, focuses heavily, more than any other gospel, on his identity. So this is who I am. And he also focuses on his relationship with God the Father. And so much of Jesus's identity and relationship with the Father are revealed in the book of John in the form of seven I am statements. And here we are. We're in an I am series. This is the third week of it. And so this week, 
like other weeks, Jesus is locked in this, in this dialogue, this conversation with this group of people, this group of religious leaders of Jews called Pharisees. Okay, so in John 9, Jesus heals a man who has been blind his entire life, and, and in an instant, Jesus comes up and is like, you can see now. I mean, just imagine that. Like, that's awesome. That is awesome. Not everybody thought it was awesome. This group of Pharisees, um, they're intrigued, and uh, it doesn't sit with them entirely well that this guy, is, this guy named Jesus is performing miracles on their, on their doorstep. Um, and it leads them to ask essentially just one question. Jesus, who are you? Who are you? I've heard your name before, Jesus, but who are you? And I can't help but think that some of you in this room tonight might be asking the same question or something similar. Jesus, I've heard your name before, or maybe I haven't. Who are you? And if you're not asking that question, maybe before you've asked a question like this, is Jesus really the only way to God? Or maybe this one, who's to say that Christianity is the only religion that gets it right? You asked that question before? Or how about this one? Don't all religions worship the same God but just address him by different names? I've, I've asked that one before. Or maybe this one, is it really worth it to follow Jesus? Is it really worth it? And guys, in, in John 10 tonight, it, it, it's, it's just gonna leave little doubt in our minds what the answers to all of those questions are. Um, this passage has just been amazing to, to study, and I've just been looking so forward to this evening. So if you guys would pray with me, I'd love to start our evening that way. Uh, Jesus, I, I just have one ask to make of you. I, I pray that this passage tonight in John 10, in your word, on October 17th, 2019, is a crossroads. God, I pray for those in this room who are my friends that know you and have a relationship with you, but I really wanna pray for those in the room that don't have a relationship with you, Jesus. I pray that this passage tonight in John 10 is a crossroads for them. I pray that as they stand at this crossroads that they, they are forced to make a decision and not sit on the fence any longer. Man, do I follow Jesus or do I not? And I pray that many tonight, God, come to know your name and view it as holy and awesome to view you, Jesus, as a savior for the first time in their life. I pray that that happens tonight by the power of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So who are you, Jesus? That's the question the Pharisees is asking. You can, can go ahead and look at John 10. This is who Jesus says he is. Jesus said again, truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will come in and will go out and will find a pasture. A thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. I am the gate for the sheep. So Jesus is using an analogy here that actually would have been really well understood by the people that were listening. They lived in an agrarian, like a, like a farming society. And so Jesus is setting up this analogy about something called a sheepfold. Okay, something called a sheepfold. And, and simply put, like that is, yeah, we got a picture of one right here. This is, um, this is just simply a place where shepherds kept sheep, and there were two kinds of them. The first one was a, like a city sheepfold, a public sheepfold, where during the day, shepherds would bring their sheep, and, and they would gather them in these giant, like, pens where they would keep the sheep. 
And so they could like run errands, converse with the other shepherds, go into town, things like that. But at night, the shepherds would bring the sheep out into the country and would bring them to a sheepfold that looks more like this. Okay, so it's, it's a structure of rocks and, and most of them in that day had thorns on top of them to keep predators out. But I, I want us to key in on one feature of this sheepfold. Notice the opening at the front of that. Okay, that's what I want to key in on. So what would happen is, I mean, what Jesus is saying here is when, I, like, I am the gate. What he's saying is, man, you, you know this. Like, shepherds would literally lie down in that opening and act as the gate for the sheepfold. And so any sheep that wants to get out, they have to go through the shepherd. Any predator that wants to get in, they have to go through the shepherd. And Jesus is saying, that's me. I am the gate. Okay, so keep that in the back of your minds. A little bit more context here. Who are the sheep that the passage is talking about? And that's a really, really simple answer. We're the sheep. Human beings are the sheep. And, and before you think that that's a good thing, it's not the most flattering comparison. Okay, I heard a story. Actually, I was reading a story in, in preparation for this that in 2005 in eastern Turkey, this group of shepherds had, had their sheep bunched together and they turned their back and like went to run an errand, essentially left the sheep for a little while. And uh, what happened is there, there was a leader sheep in this flock and what happened is, is he, he left the, uh, the camp where the flock was and he literally walked to the edge of this cliff and just walks right off and falls to his death. And one by one, the other sheep follow their leader just directly off this cliff and fall into the valley below and, ju and just die, okay? And one by one, these sheep are dying and dying and dying. So many of them are falling to their death that eventually it creates like this pillow at the bottom of the canyon and the other sheep are just bouncing off the dead bodies of the sheep that went before them. And they lived. So, man, I mean, when the shepherds turned their back and when the sheep were left unattended, man, things went horribly, horribly wrong. So sheep, <laughs> that's us. They're helpless. They're easily lost. They're followers by nature. They're easily attacked, easily injured. They're wanderers and they are totally dependent upon a, a shepherd to lead them. And we see the Bible draw this kind of comparison all over the Old Testament, the New Testament, everywhere. We are compared to sheep. And I, there, there's one place in particular that I think it's, it's really helpful um, for our passage in John 10. In Matthew 9, uh, verse 36, Jesus says that, or it says this, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So Jesus looks out at the crowds, the people he sees, and he's like, man, these, I have compassion on these people, not because they were poor, even though this is a pretty poor society. I don't have compassion on them because they're being oppressed by a really cruel Roman empire. I have compassion on them because they don't have any spiritual guides. Nobody's leading them. There is no shepherd for these sheep. They were being misled by this group of people called the Pharisees. And one last bit of context before we get back to the passage, we have to ask who are the Pharisees because it's important to understand that with this text. So they were a Jewish religious group that formed about 150 years-ish before Jesus walked the earth. And they were experts in following in this thing called the law. Now the law was given to, first given to Moses back in the book of Exodus. It was given to this group of people called the Israelites. 
And the, the idea was that this, this was a gift from God. This is a very good thing, an act of mercy and grace that God gave the law to this group of people called the Israelites. And even though the Israelites were really messed up people, God desired to be in relationship with them, and that happened through their keeping of the law. Okay, following me so far? Cool. So this law was passed down from generation to generation to the, to the next and to the next, and eventually it landed in the lap of the Pharisees, and they were just quite simply the best at keeping it. They were the best at keeping the law, and it was a good thing that they were. But here's where they went too far. They began adding to it. They began drawing lines where, where God had not drawn lines in the law. And God had always desired for the law to be obeyed in the heart, not to be obeyed out of obligation. And the Pharisees began to follow the law out of obligation alone. They didn't love God as they were keeping the law. It was for their own gain. And it led to some of them being fake and cold-hearted towards hurting people. And most damaging of all, it gave them the wrong picture of salvation. And on this day in John 10, salvation was literally staring them in the face. As Jesus is standing across from the Pharisees, salvation was literally right in front of the Pharisees and they were still missing it. Back to the passage, Jesus says, I am the gate. And I want us to notice something here. What, what article is Jesus using before the word gate? Crowd participation, what is the word right before gate? The, yes, and that is crucial, it's critical. Jesus says, I am the gate, and the Pharisees are like, he said, what? Who is this guy? He said, what? I am the gate. No, 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 Jesus, you got it all wrong. We are the gate. We are the gate to God. You're not the gate to God. We are. They're immediately offended. And I, I don't think the Pharisees would have had as big of a problem with Jesus if he would have said, I am a gate to God. And I, I don't think our society today in, in 2019 would have as big of a problem with Jesus if he would have said, I am a gate. Because if Jesus is a gate, Muhammad's a gate, Vishnu is a gate, my own works are a gate, um, the 300 Hindu gods are a gate to God, Buddha is a gate to God. There are many gates to God, but no, Jesus says, I am the gate, the one and only gate. And so here's our first point tonight, guys. Jesus alone is our salvation. Jesus alone is our salvation. There, there are no doubt a few of you in this room who claim to know the God of this book, okay? We know that there are Christians in here. There are some of you, even still though, that, that don't, that, that believe inconsistent things about salvation. You claim to know the God of this book, but you don't believe the same thing that God says in his word about salvation. You claim to know the God of this book, but what does the God of this book actually say? The big idea of this book, if I could sum it up in one sentence for you, is Jesus alone, through Jesus alone comes salvation. Through Jesus alone comes salvation. A few chapters later, if you just flip a few pages, you don't have to do that, but in John 14, Jesus will say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And Jesus is making it very clear that I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's the only way. He's the, he alone is the way to salvation. And that brings us back to our, quest, our questions from earlier. Nick, who's to say Christianity is the only religion to get it right? Well, Jesus is saying that. 
but Nick, don't all religions worship the same God and just call him by different names? Well, no, that, that can't be possible because when Jesus says, I am the son of God, I am the Messiah, the father God has sent me here, he's claiming to be God. And so if, if you claim to a Muslim or Jewish friend of yours that, that Jesus is fully human and that he's fully God, that's offensive. That's offensive to them. They don't believe Jesus is God. Buddhists and Hindus, they believe Jesus was a good man and a good teacher, a good person, but they don't believe he was God either. And so no, we don't all worship the same God. But Nick, why is Jesus the only way to God? And I, I want you to just, man, give me your eyes and just listen. Um, why is Jesus the only way to God? It's because we have a problem, Salt Company. It's because human beings have a problem, and that problem is called sin. Okay, so we hurt people and we're selfish, and that's not even the worst part of sin. The worst part of sin is that we offend a holy God when we sin. Okay, so God has given us commands in love to do, to give us relationship with him. That's, that's the law he gave. But we hurt people and we're selfish. And, and worse than that, when we sin against God, we offend him. And sin means we deserve God's righteous wrath. The Bible says that we are dead in our sins. So tonight you don't need to hear that you're a bad person. Okay, I'm not telling you that you're a bad person. I'm telling you that the Bible says you're a dead person. Okay, you're separated from God, deserving judgment from God. And in Romans 6, 23, it says, the wages of sin is death. What you deserve because of your sin is death. But then Romans 6, 23 flips it on its head and it says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. What happened on the cross is God the Father treated Jesus like you so that he could treat you like Jesus. Okay, so on the cross, Jesus died a gruesome death, yes, but that is not the worst part of it. For eternity past, God the Son has been in perfect relationship with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. And to save you and me, he didn't lay down his perfection, but he did leave the presence of God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, and he became human. He never gave in to temptation like you and I so easily do, and all the while, he lived on this earth. He knew that he had one purpose and one purpose alone, and that was to be tortured and killed by the very people he came to save. And that's not even the worst part. The worst part is that he took all of our sin upon himself. Okay, so God literally took this, all the sins you have committed, I have committed, everybody who's ever lived has ever committed, took them off us, placed them onto Jesus, and Jesus became sin and God crushed him. And Jesus willingly took it. He willingly took the wrath of God so that you wouldn't have to, and it killed him. We have a problem. We have a problem, and the problem is sin. It separates us from God, and it demands that a price is to be paid if we are to be in relationship with God again. Salt Company, Jesus paid that price. He paid that price. Let me ask you this question. Think about every other religion. 
with any other religion do you see God bring great harm and great cost to himself for the sake of mere sheep? With any other religion, does God die for his people? Author Tim Keller says this, the founders of every major religion said, I'll show you how to find God. But Jesus said, I am God who has come to find you. Do you see why the Christian gospel is so unique? Why it's so breathtaking? Why it's so different? God went to death for you. Let that sink in. God went to death for you. Jesus said again, truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers. If Jesus is the only way to salvation in God the Father, then naturally there, there is no other way. When he says thee, there is no other way. And um, what, what this analogy is that Jesus is setting up is saying is if anyone tries to climb into the sheepfold some other way, then we have a problem then he's a thief and a robber. And I, I was kind of thinking about it this way, thanks to Jake Herring, um, who's a pastor here. Sydney and I live on the third floor of an apartment complex here in Cedar Falls. And there is only one door to get into our apartment, okay? If someone comes into our apartment any other way, other than the door, we have a problem. <laughs> we have a big problem, because that means they like took great care to hop through the window to get into our apartment, okay? And so Sydney and I would be able to quickly assume that this person wants to harm us or take from us, to rob us, okay? And in the very same way, Jesus is saying if anyone or anything else claims to be a gate to salvation, a, a passage to relationship with God, they're trying to rob you. It's robbing you. It's taking something from you. If you begin to trust any other entrance besides Jesus, you are believing something about relationship with God that is just utterly untrue. Utterly untrue. You're being robbed. You're being harassed. You're like sheep without a shepherd. And you're being robbed of three things that this passage teaches. We covered the first one. It's salvation. The second one is security. And the third is satisfaction. And so guys, you have John 10's first point, Jesus alone is our salvation. Here's the second one for you note takers. Jesus alone is our security. Jesus alone is our security. In verse nine, Jesus says this, I am the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will come in and go out and will find pastor. Jesus is using promise language in this verse. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. If you trust in Jesus alone as your salvation, as the only gate, then you can have security and assurance. So what does that practically look like? If you place your faith and trust in Jesus, you are now right with God. He has removed your sin. You, you are free from condemnation and judgment, and you are now completely forgiven. Yes, we continue on in this life and, and still sin. One day he will come back to take away its presence completely. So yes, that's true, but you are now right with God if you place your faith and trust in Jesus. And not only that, you are now his child. You're adopted into a family. You're given a new identity. The Bible says, and, and this is just amazing, we are co-heirs with Jesus. Co-heirs with Jesus. That means we will inherit the blessings God the Father has placed upon God the Son. 
That's amazing. That's awesome. And it's thoroughly undeserved. I know there are some of you here tonight and um, you don't trust in Jesus alone for your salvation. You want nothing to do with him. Um, but some of you here tonight would, would call yourself a Christian and, and some of you, you don't trust Jesus as the gate though. Yeah, you may believe God exists and that Jesus exists, but if you haven't placed your faith and trust in him, he's not your gate. You're in danger. I'm gonna read a t kind of a, a tough passage for us, okay? And just listen as I read this. This is Matthew 7. And Jesus says this. These are the very words of, of Jesus. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, and do many miracles in your name? This is heartbreaking. Then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. That's tough. I've had a lot of conversations with, with people, whether it's in leadership interviews or at dinner with a buddy or meeting a random guy and just having a spiritual conversation. Um, and, and I like to take those conversations to this place. I like to ask this question, why should God let you into heaven? Why should God let you into heaven? And I want to ask that question of you too. I want you to be thinking about that as you sit there. Why should God let you into heaven? And in those conversations, I often get these kinds of answers. Well, Nick, I, I went to church growing up. My parents are Christians. I went to youth group. I go to Salt every single Thursday. I go to church every single Sunday. I'm kind to people. I do more good things than bad things. Nick, I, I'm, I'm not a bad person. I, de I deserve to go to heaven. If that's your answer, I love you. You're saying the same kind of things that the people in Matthew 7 are saying. And if those things are security, if your own works are your security, then you will hear this at the end of your life. Depart from me, you lawbreaker. And I lovingly want to ask everybody in this room, what about Jesus? What about Jesus? Friends, right now, as we open John 10, Jesus is lovingly confronting you and asking you, what about me? I am the gate. I am the only way to salvation. I've made a way to the Father. What about me? Don't rest in yourselves, rest in me. I did the work, I paid the price. Just put your faith and trust in me. So will you let, will you let October 17th, 2019 be the first time that you place your faith and trust in Jesus? Salt Company, the Bible says Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords, and you have never known a king so trustworthy, so good, so kind, so just, so generous, so good. And all he asks is that you rest in him as your salvation and your security. That's it. That's it. And guys, we still have one verse to go. We're only through nine. We have verse 10 to go. 
And so Jesus wants to offer even more. As if he hasn't done enough already, he wants to offer even more. So Jesus alone is our salvation. Jesus alone is our security. Here's the final point. Jesus alone is our satisfaction. Jesus alone is our satisfaction. In verse nine, it says, all who enter by me will be saved and come in and go out and find pasture. In verse 10, I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. Jesus is our satisfaction. So what does that practically look like? If you guys take your Bible, do this for me. Do this for me. Take your Bible, do this. If you split it down the middle, you should end up in the Psalms, okay? We're gonna be in Psalm 23, and that's gonna teach us what satisfaction in Jesus looks like. So while you guys are flipping there to Psalm 23, I'm gonna read it for us. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Verse one, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So guys, God is not only the shepherd. He's not only the gate. He is my shepherd, my gate. He is such a good God that everything I could possibly need or want, just like Seth was talking about, everything I could possibly need or possibly want is found in relationship with him. Abundant life is found in knowing God alone, not in anything else that this world has to offer. So when you see abundant life, he's not promising you that new car. He's not promising you worldly things. He's promising you relationship with him. And guys, take my word for it. I have searched in all of the wrong places and have only found true satisfaction in relationship with God. And so what does verse one say, say satisfaction in Jesus looks like? Deep personal relationship, unlike anything we've ever known. Verses two and three, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Man, God makes me lie down. God knows what we need even when we don't. He sees what we don't see. And he does what's best for us. And man, we see here green pastures, still waters, restoration, leadership towards righteousness. Man, David is using, David's the author, David is using imagery of rest and care and trustworthiness. So what do verses two and three say satisfaction in Jesus looks like? It's this, being fully known and cared for by the holy God who created you. Last verse here. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The valley of the shadow of death, that sounds like a terrible place. And a lot of you in this room tonight are there. You're in a, you're in a season of trial. You're in a season of suffering. And I am so sorry. That sucks. And guys, at some point, it's gonna to happen to all of us. Trial, suffering, disease, the loss of a loved one, it's all gonna happen. And so questions can fill our head like, why? Like, what is the purpose of this? What is the purpose of this? And David, who wrote this Psalm, Psalm 23, and other Psalms asked those very same questions. Man, God, why am I being put through this? What is the purpose of this suffering. 
And yet he writes this psalm, and he says here, I will fear no evil, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. A rod and a staff, the weapons shepherd used to protect their sheep. So what does verse four say satisfaction in Jesus looks like? Protection and assurance in times of trial. And guys, I I just gotta share this with you. I was reading a commentary on, on this passage and it's just too good not to share with you. So listen to this. The shepherd's presence may not eliminate the presence of evil around the sheep, but it does eliminate the fear of evil in the sheep. Let me read that again. The shepherd's presence may not eliminate the presence of evil around the sheep, but it does eliminate the fear of evil in the sheep. So one more time, what does satisfaction in Jesus practically look like? It looks like deep personal relationship. It looks like being fully known and yet still cared for. And it's protection and assurance. Salt Company, as we close our our time together, I just want to make a couple things clear. I kind of left you on a cliffhanger earlier when I was explaining the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we, we left it where Jesus dies, where he is killed on the cross, but the story doesn't end there. And whether you've heard the gospel for the first time tonight or for the 1,000th time, you have to know that yes, Jesus paid the price for sin on the cross, but he didn't stay dead. He didn't stay dead. And the greatest act of victory this world has ever seen, completely dead Jesus became fully alive Jesus. God the Father raised God the Son three days after his death to prove once and for all that sin and death and hell and Satan and all those things were beaten for good. It is finished. It is done. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And guys, this is the, this is the very last thing. And band, you can go ahead and make your way on up here. I want to make something very clear. Um, we should care about how we live. We should care about the, the commands of God. Good works are good. They're good. Living a certain way matters. It's a very good thing. But our standing with God does not depend on the works that we do. Only a saving relationship with Jesus Christ does that. That's it. And so, if some of you in this room are asking, man, how do I have a saving relationship with Jesus? I am so glad that you are asking that question. I hope that many of you that don't know Jesus are asking that question Here's what that looks like. You realize that you're a sinner. You admit it. God, I'm a a sinner, separated from you. I'm in need of salvation. I am in need of saving. I need you to pay the price that I cannot pay. And then God brings you from death to life as you place your faith and trust in Jesus and in the finished work he did on the cross and in his resurrection. And then you receive his Holy Spirit. God living inside of you. That's insane. God living inside of you. And only then do good works come. And so it's relationship and then it's life transformation and good works. And as you begin to talk to God in prayer and read a book called the Bible that God says is his very word, and as you develop relationships with other believers and and other Christians, 
and the Holy Spirit begins to tell you, you need to live differently. That's only after a relationship with Jesus that that happens. And so you begin to desire to change, to cut sin out of your life, to be secure and satisfied in Jesus alone rather than worldly things, to care far more about others than you care about yourself, and also to share Jesus with other people. So one more time, guys, Jesus alone is our salvation, Jesus alone is our security, and Jesus alone is our satisfaction. I love you guys, I love you, Salt Company students. Would you guys go ahead and stand up and I'll pray for us. Man, Father, that is a, a hard-hitting section of your word. It might be a, a tough one to swallow, but God, we, we know as we look elsewhere in your word that, that you had just such a concern for your people. And so you say some of these hard things out of love. You say all hard things out of love, Jesus. You so badly desire for us to be in relationship with you. And Jesus, you have paid the ultimate price to make a way back to relationship with God. And one day soon, Jesus, you, the Bible says you will return and you will bring all people home that place their faith and trust in you. Man, I look forward to that day. I look forward to the day where, where not only is the power of sin taken away, but its presence is taken away altogether. God, I, I pray for those in this room who don't know you, that are searching for things, and I just wanna lovingly remind them, as your word does, that satisfaction and security are found in you, yes. But what's greater is salvation is found in you alone, Jesus. They're searching for something. They're not gonna find it in anything other than you. My life is a testament to that. So God, thank you for each and every soul that is in this room, every heart that is beating, every brain that is currently thinking and processing through these four verses that we opened in John. Jesus, when you say, I am the gate, let us all be a people that say, Yes, you are. Yes, you are. We love you, King Jesus. Thank you for being our king. Amen.